Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It is a brand new Flyers Daily. The first, well, the second one now of 2023. The first visit in the new year with uh, Bill Meltzer. You can read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And a new year's upon us, Bill. First of all, how was the uh, the old year uh, to new year celebration? It was nice. It was fun. I uh, have a you know few family New Year's Eve traditions. Uh, you know, my my wife and I, uh, a couple couple B movies that are so so bad they're good. You know, yeah. and then we we usually usually watch one of those on New Year's Eve. Uh, you know, had had the kids and uh, you know went went to bed at a decent hour. So uh, you know, it was uh, quiet, but but it was nice. Uh, Happy New Year to you and to all our listeners too. How how was your New Year's? It was good, and I actually made it to the to midnight and saw the ball drop for probably the first time in about a decade. So that I was pretty oh. proud of myself for that. Yeah. <laughs> so. You made, it, you made it about two hours longer than I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I figure most years it's going to drop anyway. I can see it in the morning, and not that it's a huge deal to see it. But anyway, um, Bill, it's been an interesting end of 2022. And what was a real, it's been a really interesting year that we just wrapped up as well. And I, I think a really a crossroads re- year for the organization, because I think some realizations came into play, perhaps a path that uh, they have not traveled in a very long time, at least. Uh, to the degree that they may be traveling it now in 2023. Uh, but you look back on 2022, Is what's kind of the big storyline out of the year for you is just how low things got for the organization? Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, certainly a piece of it. If you look at the, you know, if you look at the win-loss record over the calendar year, it was poor, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I, I think the bigger story, though, long-term is it's, the end of one era and the transition to trying to, to find another identity. I mean, Claude Giroux became such an icon in the, the organization yeah. and, you know, the, the moving on process started um, when Giroux was moved. Um, it's still just at the nascent stages of it. There's still, so not a captain for one thing. They're still figuring out who's going to be part of the picture long-term. They're starting, starting to learn some things. Uh, you know, the, the flip side to the fact that the team, you know, listen, they, they've won back-to-back games. They have a chance, pretty good chance, I think, to, to win three in a row here um, and, and come back with a good feeling. But it's, it's really not, as we discussed before, really about wins and losses. Um, but I think they're starting to get some information on, on guys who hopefully could be part of this, this solution moving forward and guys guys more likely to, to they'll, they'll try to move out or – you know, how, how to restructure the salary cap a little bit, which has to be done moving forward. Even if the, you know, even the cap ceiling goes up, it's not going to go up by very much next year. So they're still kind of in that same situation. They have to be creative and figure some things out. So I think that, you know, I think they're gathering information. They've gotten some pretty good information. Maybe not always what you want, but in some cases, you know, in some cases things look kind of promising in certain areas too. So, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a quick process here. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think you and I, a year from now, um, right after new year's, we say, okay, how far we come, how far do we come in, in 2023? And hopefully the answer is there were steps, steps taken forward for over, over this calendar year. Um, and I, but uh, overall, I think it still is in the early stages uh, of the, of that moving on from Giroux. I think that's, uh, that's really the, the big standout for me from, from this year. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that we tend to forget a lot is that 
you moved on from a guy that was your longest tenure captain. He's second in games played, second in points for the team, uh, for the franchise's history. And that did happen in this calendar year. We're going to get to a guy that came in part of that deal in a moment. But one of the other storylines, Bill, for me, and it's an unfortunate one, is that we didn't see a game in 2022 from Sean Couturier. And the future there, it's, it's a huge question. I know he's getting back on the ice and starting to skate. There could be a February return or March return. We shall see. Um, but to me, moving forward, it's a huge storyline that he didn't play a game in 2022. And what he does in 2023 is going to be another big storyline moving forward. For sure. And, you know, I, I've heard some people say, well, I don't want him to return this year, <laughs> one way or the other. I think if he can return and, and play a month or whatever, it's not about really what he does. It's really more about, okay, can we can we realistically go into next year with more than just fingers crossed, hope he's healthy next year? Yeah. You you wanna see can he you know, can he get through the this season whenever it is that he may come back and, and hold up for that duration? And then you feel at least a little bit better. There's there's a, there's gonna be concern. I mean, just there's no way around it. But uh you, know, you you can't go into the summer uh, again without him ha- without him having played a game and just hope hoping and hoping in the pieces fit in place. Not when you have all those years and and all that uh, all that calf tied up. And man, he still is, if healthy, a vital player for the team. So I, I think that that's something that's uh, so giant question mark moving forward. Um, I mean, to a to a degree, also Cam Atkinson. Um, he still has a number of years left on his contract. The Flyers have, have a big chunk of their cap tied up in those two guys, and Ryan Ellis, who's you know may never come back. So that's uh, you know I, I think that that really, I mean that really that really tied the team's hands this year too. Um, they may have, they may have taken other courses of action. Yeah, had they I been in a similar had they been a similar place, but with cap space to do things. Yeah. Um, so that's. Uh, that, that's going to be an ongoing question, and, and we'll just have to see. You know, we'll have to see by the end of the season. Obviously, Atkinson won't be back, but hopefully, Gatorier will. Yeah, I think if the guy can come back and he can play 15 games, and, and look, we're going to judge him on his play when he comes back and go, oh, this is what he is now. And he may not be the Sean Gatorier we saw before in those 15 games if he were to come back, uh, but it would be a big step of progression towards maybe being able to get close to that player we saw before these injuries next year. I think being able to send him into an offseason with a couple things, that, that knowledge that he can still play the game, hold up, and all those things, I think they're really important to head into an offseason for a player. You know, one of the things, Bill, too, that we wrapped up 2022 with, there was a little bit of controversy swirling around, you know, Carter Hart practicing and then being put on IR. So we know about the collision that he had in the Carolina game and then came out and Sam Harrison went back in. And, you know, he's in concussion protocol, which which is a little different than any other injury when you're talking about a timetable for return because you have to pass through the NHL's mandated and collectively bargained concussion protocol system, which I've now read through a couple of times and posted some stuff stuff about it as well. Um, You know, but he gets out of the first day back and he practices. Then the next day he gets put on IR and then he practices that day. And the thing I wanted to make clear to people, and I know some people were freaking out and it would have taken a real simple Google search from some pseudo media members to just look at the protocol to see how it works. A player is supposed to come back while they're in protocol and have practices with, quote, exertion, which is exactly what he was doing. Yeah. 
Although, if uh, I mean, he could have potentially passed the protocol certainly in time for the LA game. Yep. But, but but with the way Urson has played, and that, that, that's the positive, they don't have to rush it. Yeah. So make you know, he, if he's feeling fine and there's no indication otherwise, it still sounds like uh, it sounds like he might even might be able to at least back up, dress dress for the game in uh, LA. But yeah, again, I, I think they're holding on to the protocol thing too, as a way to not have to put Sandstrom through waivers right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, exactly, <laughs> exactly, because uh, I, I think they'd, they'd like to, and we talked about this before that if Urson stays, they 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 want to have a sense that they have, they know what they have in Carter Hart. Yeah, but they, they want to see if they have a, a viable second goalie already in house. Um, it's something that they're they're looking at as a you know, beyond just this season. So it, it does, it, it, it uh, you know, the, it, there's no controversy that way. Now, now Sanchum in fairness, only play, it's only played one game in the last month. It, yeah. It's kind of, kind of hard to judge a body of work when you're sitting for that long a period of time. And plus you have the, the illness in between. Um, but uh, you know, you, you end up having to make tough decisions. Sometimes I have a, a hunch that uh, if he were waived, I put better than 50, 50 clear. But you just never know. Yeah, you just never know. But uh, but that that decision can be put off a little bit longer, and certainly uh, Sam, certainly Sam Erson has earned a, a longer look. So yeah. um, you know, and and you know, and you know, as, as we're recording this, we still don't know. We still don't know if Hart's been cleared to, to play in the uh, in Anaheim game. But it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they went with Erson one more time, and then Hart starts with, when they come back from the trip. That, that yeah. wouldn't surprise. And I get people's frustration. They go, well, why put him on the flight? You know, um, it, you know, it's a cross country flight. And I, I get it. You want, and we want to, at this point, especially when it comes to Carter Hart is not mess around, not yeah. incur any risk, but we don't know all the elements of, of that plan. And part of that sometimes, and, you know, a guy getting all the way through and reactivated also has cap ramifications and roster ramifications. So I think we got to keep that in mind as well. Bill, towards the end of 2022, it's been a kind of a tumultuous, very uh, up and down year for Kevin Hayes. Uh, he's had some some moments where he's been really good and he's piled up a lot of points. He was benched in that San Jose game in game six back in early October. Um, then he was also benched for another third period in a game and he was a healthy scratch. And since his return, and I believe the now five games since, He's averaging just under 16 minutes of ice time, and he has a single point. It's in the power play assist. And uh, for a guy that was basically playing at a point-per-game clip prior, um, it does not look like his game is where the coaching staff wants it, and it doesn't look like uh, the same level of intensity is there right now for Kevin Hayes. You know, Some guys respond to a healthy scratch and, or respond to being benched in a third period. Look what Travis Konechny's done since his. Um, and even Hayes did well after the first, but where's Kevin Hayes game right now? It's a concern. Uh, you know, um, if you go back to the San Jose game, you know, uh, Tortorella changed up his lines in that third period. And, and Kevin Hayes moved back playing with Faraby and connecting that third period. Um, you, you saw Scott Lawton was, was quite high. You know, he's playing really well right now in general, but, uh, he responded. He was a big part of the Flyers' comeback and, and won the first face-off in overtime. So doing big and little things, you know, on the PK, scored, a, scored his first power play goal of the season last game. 
Um, I, I haven't liked Hayes' games since then. I mean, maybe a moment here, a, a nice pass there, or, or but he doesn't he doesn't seem, for lack of a better word, engaged to the level that that I was hoping to see. I think that uh, the towards and the coaching staff were hoping to see. Um, you know, I I, I I never want to you know I let, let's put it this way. I, I'm not going to speculate as to why. I just know that it's not his game is not where it needs to be. And I thought in the I thought in the LA game that eleven flyers forwards all contributed pretty significantly in different ways up and down the lineup. I thought that was a fantastic team effort. Even even guys that didn't get on the score sheet that day had good games. Kevin Hayes was an exception. Um, you know, uh, and in different situations too. I didn't. You know, he's been he's been a guy who is as much as the power play has struggled, had been a really good distributor on the power play. He he's just just making high, still making high risk plays. Still, mm-hmm. he's a guy who he really rely on to, to protect the puck and to just just other little details too that contribute. Even though there were some defensive struggles, uh, I'm seeing a lot of struggle in his game right now. And that was that was, there are very few negatives in the LA game. I was really, I was really hoping for for more from Hayes from that game and, and from the batch of games since since he came back against Columbus. Um, I know it had to bother him to sit against his old team yeah. and uh, and be sad in the third period again. You know, it, it, it's up to him to kind of respond and, and stick it to Torts a little bit, right? If if he's if he's pissed off, well then then let it let it show in your play in a positive way. Um, I think there's still a long way to go in the season. I'm, I'm so hopeful of him, him snapping back into the form he had before, but but right now, right now he, he's not doesn't seem close, and yeah. that's uh, that, that's a concern. Yeah, and you have to is he not close? Is he willing? That that's the thing, you know. When, being sad against your old team, I, I that that's a bruise, and maybe it doesn't go away in a couple of games, but they got to figure that part out. Um, Bill, let's go back to that LA game. Hell, let's go back to a couple of games here. The, uh, the back end of 2022 and this resurgence of the PK, not only just look, they've given up some power play goals, this league you're going to, but the offense now that they seem to be generating from it. And I, I know Torts is a guy that really empowers his assistants. And Bradshaw is a guy that I think that he would put the trust of at every, his, you know, most precious things in life in Bradshaw's hands. And Shawzi always talks about, I remember talking about, to him about it in preseason, about the mindset on a PK. It has to be an aggressive mindset because if it's a, a passive approach, eventually you will get, you will pay because there's just too much skill in this league. And the approach they have is so much more aggressive right now and willing to take on a little risk for a little reward. And that's something we haven't seen since probably Richards and Gagne. No, well, exactly. Those are the guys that, that come to my mind too. Um, and it's exciting when you get a, a, a shorthanded goal, right? Like that, yeah. you feel like you, well, you got something yeah. huge. Well, go, going into the LA game, and, and I, ne- I never put this in, in a game preview just because shorthanded goals, you only have a, a smattering of over, over a season. Sometimes, I mean, you might have one all year, right? A couple but, years ago, they had one. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and uh, coming into the game, you know, LA had given up five shorthanded goals. I said, you know what? There's an opportunity here tonight, uh-huh. and uh, you know, and and it played out that way. It was the Flyers' the seventh of the season, ties them for the league lead. Um, 
yeah, it, it's been been a number of years. You, you have to go back to the about 2010, right? <laughs> when uh, when you last had a, a team was a real threat to score shorthanded, and that's uh, that's something that that uh, that really weighs on a power play too. Um, you know, they they're they're afraid to make certain passes across the ice. Uh, like the the you know you you can take away the cross seam pass a couple different ways, right? You can put on a lot. You can put on a lot of uh, uh, strong side pressure mm-hmm. and force them, force them into making quick, sometimes panicky decisions. And you can also have it in their mind. You know, if if I if I try to go diagonally out to the opposite point or, or go across the ice to, to try to set up a one timer, hey, if, if that thing gets intercepted, they're off. Yeah, and, and we're not going to uh, catch. We're going to back check our way out of it. Yeah, exactly. And that uh, you know. As you said, they're still giving up. They're still giving up a few power play goals. It's it, it's crazy if you look across the NHL where a, a team comes in at 23 on the power play, and they're not they're not even the top ten of the league anymore. Yeah, they're like sixteen. It's crazy. Sixteen, and if you're twenty percent, which used to put you in the top half, if you're twenty percent, you're in the bottom third. Yeah, you know, and that's obviously still an area where the power play wise, the Flyers still have to get up to that league standard because they're just not there. Um, they're creeping towards it. They actually have uh, getting some contributions from, from PP two. I really like the power play in the, uh, in the LA game. Both units moved the puck really well. They had looks and they, mm-hmm. you know, they got, they got the one, the first and the second power plays were really good. And the third one, you're playing with a lead and, yeah. uh, and they almost gave up one shorthanded chance, but mostly they, they got through, got those two minutes off the clock without, <laughs> without hurting themselves. So that, uh, you know that in, in in that way, I guess it was good, but that but that's something where PK wise, um, you know the Flyers they started out so well on the PK two this year. The first twelve through twelve games were at eighty two percent, and they were in the top four or five of the league. And then the bottom dropped out, and now they're coming back up again slowly but steadily. So that's yeah. uh that, that that's a positive. Yeah, I, I think a shorthanded goal just does so much to energize a bench. It really does because, and to me, it's one of those two for one situations. We didn't give up one, and we got one. I yeah, think it's a, such it. a big thing, and I love the aggressive mindset. And we're finding out some things about guys like Travis connecting and chemistry with Scott Lawton on that PK as well. Uh, Bill, I thought in the game against the Kings, it may have been the best game we've seen Rasmus Ristolainen play as a Flyer. I mean, he had that that one shift, and I know Anthony and Joni texted us and said that's a double ice pack. Double ice pack shift on that one. He was blocking, I think, four shots on the one PP on the one power play for LA. Oh yeah, uh, that 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 might have been his best shift as a flyer. Yeah, um, blocks a shot which stings him. Goes up, delivers a huge hit in the corner. I think it was in Kempa. Yep. Um, comes he didn't out, take himself out of the play though while doing it too. No, 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 no. It was it was a it was a good hit. Guy had the puck, and then right back out in front again and blocks another shot. And then as the sequence continues. You know, another block shot after that. Um, six blocks, I think five hits in the game, and uh, wasn't wasn't taking himself out of position, and he, he was taking what was available to him, and it was good. He even got an assist too. So yeah. that, uh, you know, so yeah, no, absolutely one one of the best games he's he's played as a flyer. I I, I like him. I, I think he's at five on five. Ideally, if you have him on your third pairing, fantastic. You know, that's. Yeah. Uh, that that's a, a great spot to have him in. And, uh, you know, I, I actually, you know, I, I, I think that the D is, as a whole is, is coming together. Um, 
You know, I, I think there's another level of consistency for Ivan Provorov. I thought I thought Provorov started out great this year. Yeah, and... Torch talked about that when I had him Saturday. Oh, did he? Did he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, and, and you know, and then he's getting. I think he's creeping back up towards that level you need him to be at. LA mm-hmm. wasn't his best game either. He did, but but still, he battled. And yeah. uh, and, and late in the game, he was fine. And then you know when when they're protecting protecting lead particularly late i thought he was he was really good there so you know that's uh again you know it's gonna it's not gonna all be steps forward there will still be some backward steps this year as a team i'm not talking about any particular player but you can see you can see elements of that identity taking shape even even some of the games that they've lost mm-hmm. you know even even in games where carolina where and they, toronto for that for that matter carolina and toronto, you, yep Going, coming back from multi goals down, getting back within a goal, and having having in both games at least one really good chance to tie it. Yeah, um, you know, so that's uh, you know the resilience has kind of been there since the beginning of the year. Uh, I, I've given up, I've given up even talking about Flyers scoring first versus giving up the first goal because it's it's just it's strange. the The league wide stats are still pretty similar. That scoring first gives you obviously your best chance to win just by the just by the math of it. And LA, but LA came into the game. I think it was thirteen three and two or something like that when uh, scoring when first. scoring first, and it didn't matter. Flyers Flyers yeah. came back twice from from a goal down, so they it doesn't bother them to play from behind. So so much so that you don't even discuss it anymore. Whereas a year ago, once the Flyers were down, you pretty much knew that's it. Yeah, one turned into two like that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, there, there has not been a lot of sag. I talked to Torts about that, too, about, you know, situational play. You know, when you get scored on, what you do on that next shift. You know, Konechny goes out and tips that one in in the, in the one game right after that against San Jose, right after they get scored on to make it one nothing. Um, Tippett's goal, Bill, was was fantastic. It was just such a great read. I thought JVR, even though he got an assist on it, he deserved a second assist because of the way he handled net front. And, you know, I, I look at all of that, and I want to get back to Tippett. But there's a combination of things that you need to have successful a successful team. You have to have talent, and they're going to need more of that and all of that. But you have to have a coaching staff that develops a plan of attack and a team that, when they're explaining that plan of attack, listens, absorbs, and puts it into play instinctually in the game and then and executes it and gets the fruits of that labor. And I pointed this out on yesterday's episode. I think Kim Dillaball was a big feature in that Kings game. Because he was a development goalie coach there under Bill Ramford for a long time. Jonathan Quick, he knows every tendency that Quick has. He was there for those cup years. And we know that Quick is a guy, is a croucher, likes to make himself small. And whenever he runs into a situation where he loses sightline on the puck at release or at any point, he is going to default low because he's a hovercraft and he can move on his knees as well as most guys can move on their feet, even at this age. And by doing that, you know that that glove hand tends to rest on the pad. And the Flyers, every goal they scored while he was in that net, all yeah. featured uh, a, a, a type of screen to take his eyes off release, him defaulting low, and they beat him high glove on the short side on every single goal. To me, Kim Dillabaugh deserves some t- stick taps on that one. No no question. No question. And even on, even on, I think, three or four other chances where they didn't score, Yep. Either just went just over the net, or, or quick got it, you know, or, or maybe somebody got a piece of it somewhere. They they had they had that in place too. There some some of their best scoring chances. In you the could game. see that that precision of attack the whole game. I thought. 
I, I thought so too. I mean, it, it was very obvious that 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 was what they went in mm-hmm. looking to do every time they had a, every time they had a lane to shoot. Um, and uh, yeah, and and you mentioned you mentioned Tippett. Uh, I mean, just just one of the best, maybe the best three zone game I've ever seen him play. Me too. Um, whether whether it was back checking, um, play through the neutral zone, the stick was in good position, um, up ice on the four check, and obviously. Obviously, using his mobility, creating space for himself, and then roofing it just under the bar—that was just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful goal. Um, and yeah, JV, JVR was certainly big in that. I, I really liked that whole line that game. Um, mm. JVR, I thought had a good game. I thought Frost quietly had a really good game. Um, there was the, actually back in, in in the first period before the Flyers got the their power play goal, there was a play where Frost shot it from the uh, from the left circle. He had JVR screening. And JVR tipped it, and yeah. that that one actually that one actually uh, Quick was able to get to, but uh, sometimes that sometimes that goes in. Um, JVR had a point blank chance in the third period, which yeah. Frost was in the middle of, and Tippa would have had an assist on that too. Um, you know, Frost had a, a play where he shot one just off of a faceoff. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know that that was a dangerous chance. Gets him gotten the goalie quickly, so that you know that that could have been. You know, it wasn't like the Arizona game where the, the line got four goals, but um, but it could have been. On, on certain nights, it could have been that kind of a game. So that that line, which had been broken up in the third period, you know, I, the game before, they they were tremendous that whole game. Great but it, but if, yeah, but if Tippett can play at that level, uh, on even a semi regular basis, I mean, you you know, you've got you've got a one hell of a hockey player, and that uh, that was that was really really fun to watch. The thing about him, Bill, is I think maybe the coaching staff looks at him as this lump of clay. They go, they go, wow, we didn't know the guy could move quite this good, skate this well. If we can put that structure and instincts to be on the right side of the puck, handle the D zone and neutral zone properly, he can get anywhere on the ice because of his skating ability and how fast he is, and he's a bigger frame guy. The offensive zone is going to take care of itself with him, I think. And yeah. you're going to see him score goals. And he'll be streaky, of course, because he's a goal scorer, but um, – but he he can end up being a net positive player when he's not scoring because of his ability and the way he moves on the ice. And I think that's what the coaching staff looks at. All right. The last thing, because, you know, I, I tend to monitor social media. I don't engage as much as I used to, but, um, you know, looking at the situation, the Flyers wrap up 2022 with the two wins and they, you know, they come back in two games, they fall short. People thought that was perfect. Some, because they go, oh, perfect, you, you you battle back, you showed resilience, but you still lost, and that's good because we want that high draft pick. We see what Bedard is doing, piling up points at World Junior, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the two wins, and people go, well, where does that get us? You know, to me, look, I want Bedard too. <laughs> I'm no fool. I see what this kid can do. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I'm on Instagram watching, you know, videos of him in sneakers and slides and his release and shooting pucks and everything. I, it's insane. But to me, if you really want them to lose to have the most highest lottery chance, then you have to root for Konechny to fail. You have to root for Provorov to fail. You have to root for Tippett to fail, Frost to fail. You have to root for Carter Hart to get hurt or fail. And I can't do that. I can't go there mentally. And you go, okay, I'd rather have the third or fourth highest odds to land them Um and have those guys show me something this year that I have pieces here that I can move forward with um, than I would, you know, having the 18.2% chance or whatever it is. 
No, I, I agree. Uh, I'm a believer that play hard, play the best of your ability, and you'll find your level. And mm-hmm. that's that's where you should draft, right? That that's what you are. Um, and sometimes you get luck, lucky in the lottery, and I, I still think the Flyers will still be in the top five, top six in the, the lottery odds. And maybe you know, maybe if they end up moving pieces towards the deadline, and you lose some games, you know, maybe you maybe you do still end up in the top three, four. Uh, I don't think the I don't think the I don't think the Flyers at their worst this year. We're we're ever gonna be the be the team with the highest lottery odds to begin with. Yeah, you know, and that that's not saying much, but it's but it's just just kind of how the the hierarchy of the league is right now. And yeah. I, I mean, everybody you have to be a fool not to what or Fantilli for that matter too, because he he's a heck of a young prospect too. It just Bedard is just on a, a level that's you know that the. the doesn't come along very often, right? Yeah. If, you, if you if you get them and and you know, I mean, phenomenal. But even even if you're the worst team in the league, you have the worst record. You still have a shade less than twenty percent chance. Still better than eighty percent that you don't get them. You, you can't you can't hang your hat only on that. And I think that if you're looking to build something, right, that you want to. Well, there we go. Here we go right now. Um, I if read you're looking one to time. build. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you're looking to build something, you know, it, it's easier if you have a little bit of a little bit of a nucleus in place. Right. And, and, yeah. and some some other pieces. Otherwise, you're otherwise you're one star and you're one superstar and you're you know, you're what Buffalo was for a long time. You're, you're what, yeah. the, what the Oilers were for a long, long time. Or what Arizona it, actually, tried to tank and get Austin Matthews. Exactly. And, you know, there's no, there's no guarantee that five, six years from now you're going to be any better off than than you were beforehand. And mm-hmm. the, so I think that, you know, I think that it's positive to, to see, you know, some some players emerging and guys look like they can be part of the solution. And then maybe maybe you do end up getting lucky anyway. But yeah. uh, you know, but but to me, banking on lottery luck, it, it's uh, that that's even that's even riskier. Than uh, than trying trying to build the other way, so you know. But uh, you know, I, I think as we get later in the season, that's really more time to, to look at the lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I really I look at this team, and you know, I, I still don't see a playoff team. I don't think really anybody would. But on the on the other hand, you know, I go, well, you know what? If this team would have would have had Katori and Atkinson. They'd be, uh, you know, we, we'd be talking about them being maybe in the outer edge of a bubble, but mm-hmm. you know, but but maybe maybe uh, seven, eight points better than they are right now. Yeah, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, I look at these draft lottery odds, and I see Florida sitting there with a record of sixteen, eight, and eighteen and four, lost five yeah. straight. I'm going, wow, Florida's in that. They won the President's Trophy last year. Yeah, crazy. I mean, obviously, Kachuk goes there. There's a a big deal with Uberdo going and Uyghur at, at huge deals, huge swing, but wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I know I know there's some fans that are conflicted. You know, how do I handle wins? How do I handle losses? And it's something I'm sure we'll dive more and more into as the, the remainder of the season goes underway. We're not even at the halfway point. Uh, and right now the Flyers have a six and a half percent chance odds at landing the number one overall pick. I hit that lottery simulator one time, one time, and they landed number one. Columbus landed two with an eleven and a half percent chance to move up to number one. Chicago, 18.5, dropped down to third. Anaheim, San Jose, Arizona, and Montreal. So 
by the way, if Florida lands in there somehow, that goes to Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That pick for the Sherratt deal, right? And there you go. All right. Uh, rebuild stuff on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. We certainly covered a lot of track uh, in this uh, episode, and it's Flyers Ducks tonight. We'll break it down tomorrow. Brand new episode of Flyers Daily. It's just another day. It was just another fight. It was words strung into sentences. It was do 